start here a, a series, um, a little three, four-part series uh, on the Christmas season. And here's the thing. None of you woke up this morning and just decided to be the kind of person you are. You didn't just say, oh, I think today I'll have these positive attributes and these negative attributes and these habits and, and these shortcomings and, and these wounds and this attitude or whatever. You, you don't just choose that. Who you are this moment is uh, a function, an outgrowth of all the decisions you've made throughout your life and decisions that have made been made that impacted you and, and the relationships that you've had and the relationships that you've lost and the things you've achieved and the things that you've failed at. All of that goes into making you who you are, and so it is for every person on the planet. As we say sometimes around here, everyone's got a prequel. There's a prequel. And um, you only really know a person if you know their prequel, if you know the story. The more you know them, the more you understand who they are because you understand the background, things that have taken place. And so to the degree that we don't know a person's prequel, they're a mystery to us. They just are the way they are. That's why we're, we can never judge them, uh, because we don't know all that went on in their past. We're only allowed one opinion of people, and that is that Jesus Christ died for them, therefore they have unsurpassable worth. But everyone's got a prequel. To understand them, you have to understand the prequel. The same is true of Jesus, born in Bethlehem on Christmas morning. Uh, it wasn't like God just one day said, hey, I think I'll become a human being, get down, go down there, and get myself killed. Um, no, it wasn't a on-the-spot sort of decision he made. Uh, there's a story that leads up to this. He didn't just say, hey, uh, randomly choose a time and choose a circumstance and, and roll the dice with Mary and Joseph. It wasn't like that. There's a story before the story. And if you want to understand the Christmas story, you need to understand something about the story before the story, the, the prequel. And so we're entitling this series. We thought this year we'll just take a look at that prequel. And we're entitling this series B.C., Before Christ. And looking at all the B.C. stuff that leads up to the birth of Christ. What I want to do this morning is to go back as far as we can go, go back to the very, very beginning, and ask the question, when did the idea of the incarnation first occur to God, as it were? Um, and why did it occur? What's, what's the master plan behind this whole thing? And so we're entitling this message, Master Plan. Would you pray with me here for a moment as we get into this word? Father, I feel this on my heart in a huge way. Uh, and um, I think it's because this is, uh, could, could be a, a, a message, Lord, that could, the coin could fall in the slot for some people. I pray, Lord, for everyone in this auditorium, everyone listening through the podcast, that you'd open their hearts to receive this, not just in an information way, but in a way that would really change the way we view ourselves and view others and live our life, especially change, improve, perfect our vision of you and the grand master plan behind this glorious event of you becoming a human being. Holy Spirit, be at work. I can't possibly do that, so I just rely on your sufficiency. Have your way, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Okay, here's the thing. Probably, if I were to ask most people in this congregation, certainly most people in America, why Jesus became a human being, why God came down to earth, what is Christmas about? The answer would probably be something like this. Well, we, we were seduced by Satan, we, we rebelled against God, we are sinners, and so Jesus had to become a human being and then die on the cross to save us from our sin and to save us from Satan's oppression, something like that. The Christmas story is usually taken as being a, a rescue operation. It's a rescue mission. We need to be rescued, that's why he came. It's true that we need to be rescued, and that is why he came. But is that the whole story? 
Um, there's a, another way of looking at this. In fact, people throughout history have, have had a, a different interpretation of this, where the incarnation, the cross, was always about a rescue mission. Jesus' suffering was about a rescue mission. But in this other view, God always planned on becoming a human being. That was part of the master plan from the start. And the interesting thing is, you find a number of, I think, strong indications in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, that that is the case. That this wasn't a decision. The decision to become a human being wasn't made after the fall of human beings, after the rebellion. It was rather there from the start. In fact, the reason God created the world was precisely so he could become a human being. And so, and that has led me to... These indications have, have convinced me that that, in fact, is the case. And I found that as you frame the Christmas story this way, not as a response to human sin, but as the plan from the start, uh, it really makes a difference. It opens up our eyes to some aspects of the Christmas story that we otherwise wouldn't see. It also avoids a number of theological conundrums that I'll speak about here in a little bit. By the way, this is going to be a little bit of a theological message, but we're a smart congregation, right? So uh, you, you, you like this kind of heady stuff, so let's get into it. This morning, I'm just going to look at one indication. It's one of the strongest indications that, that, that uh, the incarnation, and the incarnation just refers to the event of God becoming a human being. Uh, I'm looking at one of the indications that suggests that this was the master plan from the start. It's found in Ephesians chapter 1. And I'll read verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, and I want to remember that phrase, it's going to be a very important phrase, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. He blessed us in Christ before the creation ever started. And he blessed us to be holy and blameless before him in love as we are in Christ. He destined us, or predestined us, for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. This is just what he wanted to do. Give him pleasure. To the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Hmm. Okay, so before the creation of the world, before there was anything, here's God's plan. This is the master plan. He wanted to adopt us as children... In Christ, and bless us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, and make us loved in the beloved. That was the plan from the start. And the way that happened was by him becoming a human being and taking on our nature, and then incorporating us into him. That was the master plan. Now, here's the thing. If, if Jesus came just as a rescue operation, if his becoming a human being was a rescue operation, and that plan was there before the creation ever started, well, then the rescue had to be there from before the creation ever began, which means what we were rescued from had to be there from before the creation. You can't have a plan to rescue people unless there's something to rescue them from. And so if Christmas is simply a rescue operation that is there to save us from uh, Satan's oppression and from our sin, well then Satan's oppression and our sin must have been part of the plan all along before the creation of the world. And that would entail that, that the rebellion of, of Lucifer when he became Satan and took uh, however many angels he took with him in that rebellion, that must have been part of the plan, the predestined plan from the foundation of the world. And his decision to try to seduce human beings must have been part of the plan from the foundation of the world. And our being seduced and our falling into sin and our falling into rebellion, that must have been part of the predestined plan from the foundation of the world so that God could carry out his predestined plan to rescue us from all the stuff he just predestined that we'd go through. And there's a lot of people who believe that. But it raises some interesting and troubling questions. 
And all of this comes as a result of thinking of Christmas as a rescue operation. Here, here's one. If, um, if, if our uh, sin and rebellion and, and Satan's sin and rebellion, if that's all part of God's predestined plan, then how is God not responsible for it? If I have a super smart microchip that I can put in uh, a person's brain without them knowing it, and it controls all their thinking, all their neurons, all right? I suppose I have this microchip, and I put it in Joe. And I program the microchip to kill Bill because I'm really mad at Bill. So Joe goes and kills Bill. There's not a sane person on the planet that would hold Joe responsible for that. I'm the one who's responsible. Joe couldn't help him once I put that microchip in his brain. Even if he thinks it's his decision, uh, it's not because I'm the one making him have that thought. Uh, And so he couldn't do otherwise, given that I planted the microchip there. But I could do otherwise, and you're only responsible for stuff that you could do otherwise. You're not responsible for how tall you are, for example, or what color your eyes are, because you didn't choose that. You couldn't help it. That's just what was given you. You are responsible, though, for your actions, because those are things that you choose. So also, if Joe couldn't help but kill Bill, given that I put the microchip in him, he's not responsible. I am, because it was my choice that brought the death of Bill about. And by the way, I would never do that if I had a microchip. I just, you know, I'm using illustration here. Um, Okay, so in the same way, if, if, if it was God's plan, if it was God's decision from before the creation of the world that we would sin, Satan would sin, we'd fall into rebellion so that he could rescue us, then he is the one responsible for all this. He's ultimately the sinner, not us. Second thing is this. All the evil and suffering in the world is the result of sin. The sin of Satan and the fallen powers and the sin of human beings. All suffering is a result of that. So if Satan's sin and our sin and the sin of the powers, if that was all part of the predestined plan, then the suffering that comes from it was also part of the predestined plan. So the decision of the uh, rebellious angelic beings, Satan and others, to corrupt nature, to use their influence to corrupt nature, corrupt creation, so that now it afflicts humans and afflicts animals with diseases and sicknesses and starvation and, and, and all sorts of natural disasters, that's all part of the predestined plan of God. So also every decision that human beings make, uh, all, all that brings about suffering, Hitler making a decision to have 10 million people killed in the Holocaust, all that's part of the predestined plan of God. And so it is for every nightmare, every atrocity, every disaster, all the human heartache, every child, every kidnapped, it, the murder, the strife, the wars, all of that's part of the predestined plan of God. And now, folks, you've got a pretty monstrous picture of God. Um, all that is, it goes on and I, I read people and I hear people sometimes say, oh, but you see, somehow in some mysterious way, it all glorifies God. It's all for his glory. And the people who say that are sincere and smart and godly people. And they're usually just reciting what they were taught and what they believe. But I will confess to you that I don't have a clue what they're talking about. Um, it, 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 it sounds to me, when say people say that all the nightmare of human history glorifies God, it sounds to me like saying all the, the evil and suffering and pain of the Holocaust glorifies Hitler. And there's a sense in which that's true. Um, but is that the kind of glory we want to be ascribing to God? I don't think so. Look, look, the Bible says this. Here's a verse that I, I quote quite a bit. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory, the shininess of God's glory, and the exact representation of God's very being, his essence. This is what God looks like. This is the glory of God. When God shines, it looks like Jesus Christ, and especially Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. 
That glorifies God. It, it's, it, it puts on display his self-sacrificial character, his, his, his nonviolent, enemy-embracing, self-sacrificial love, that perfect love. That glorifies God. When God shines, it looks like that. And so, folks, if it doesn't look like that, if a person doesn't look like that, or if an event doesn't look like that, don't ascribe it to God. You're not glorifying God. You're insulting God. If it looks like self-sacrificial love, well, then that glorifies God. Give God the credit for that, but nothing else. If it doesn't have that kind of character that's revealed in Jesus Christ, it glorifies someone else, Satan or fallen human beings or whatever, but it doesn't glorify God. Only what looks like Jesus Christ should be ascribed to God. That's the second negative consequence. You've got a very monstrous-looking picture of God. It's one that can't possibly be true because it doesn't look like Jesus Christ. He didn't go around causing disasters and sickness and disease. He went around healing them. <laughs> he did the opposite of that. Here's the third thing. Uh, if, if, if this all has been part of the predestined plan, if the whole mess of the world is part of the plan so that God could then carry out his predestined plan to rescue us, well then, all of our decisions are part of God's predestined plan. And that would include our decision to submit our lives to Christ and to fall in love with Christ. That was part of the predestined plan. But if our choice to love Jesus is part of a predestined plan, then is it really love? Seems to me that it's not. Let's go back to the microchip again. Suppose I, 40 years ago, 40 years ago, when I first started getting goggly eyes for my beautiful wife, check her out, I remember it so clearly. I was playing the marimba up on the church stage, and she came forward to give her life to Jesus. And I saw an evangelistic opportunity. <laughs> this young lady needs to be discipled. Okay. That's not a good reason, a good motive for discipling people, but it worked. Okay, so I'm thinking about uh, asking her on a date, and then later on I'm thinking about asking her to marry me. And suppose I want to make sure that she says yes, so I put my little microchip into her brain when she's not looking, and uh, I program this thing to fall in love with me. Uh, and so I'm controlling every neuron in her brain. She doesn't know it. She thinks it's all her decision. But I know that, in fact, she's loving me, loving me, quote-unquote, because of the microchip. Is that genuine love? I don't think so. I, I have a Stepford wife here. Um, no, see, it's only love if she's the one choosing it. But see, I'm the one choosing it through that microchip. I'm really just loving myself here. Uh, it's only genuine love on the part of Shelley for me if she is the one who chooses it, which means she has to have the freedom to choose otherwise. She has to be able to choose not to love me. It's only valuable because it didn't have to be there. It wasn't coerced. It wasn't programmed. She has to have the choice to choose otherwise. Now, in this case, um, poor kid didn't stand a chance because who could resist a hunk like me? You know, there wasn't much free will involved. But, but still, there's a little bit of freedom. She could have chosen otherwise. And fortunately for me, she chose to love me. And, uh, and we've been choosing that e ever since. So it's got to be free. And it wouldn't be genuine if God pre-programmed it. Not only that, but think about this. If God's pre-programming who's going who's gonna to love him, He's also pre-programming who's not going to love him because he obviously didn't program everyone to love him. So now you have a God who predestines, part of his glorious plan is to have people go to hell, predestined people. Before they're ever born, before the creation of the world, these people are going to go to hell. And whether you think hell is eternal conscious suffering and flames or whether you think it's annihilation, as I'm inclined to think, it's still a ghastly picture of God. It's a picture that can't possibly be true because it doesn't look like Jesus Christ giving his life for all humanity on the cross. Uh, it doesn't look at all like that. Not only that, but it contradicts a ton of passages in the Bible, especially the New Testament, that tell us that God's love is for everybody and that Jesus Christ came for everybody and that God wants everybody in. 
Second Peter 3, 9, for example, says, God's patient with you. Uh, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Not wanting any to perish, but all. Everyone say all. He wants all to come to repentance. This is a God who's got a bear hug around all human beings, pulling them in. But he can't coerce them because then it wouldn't be love, and love is the point of the whole thing. And so if you think that God predestined who's going to go in and who's going to go out, well, now you not only have a ghastly picture of God, you've got a seriously conflicted picture of God. Because he apparently, according to this verse and many others like it, he predestined stuff that he didn't want. He wants everybody to come in, but he predestines some not to. What's up with that? Uh, this is a God who's got a serious internal conflicted problem and needs to see a, see a archangel therapist or something. I don't know. But uh, it's, 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 it's not coherent. No, uh, God's love is for all. All of, all of this is the result of thinking that the plan from the start was a rescue operation. You see, do you see all, all that follows? And so if that's your, your, your conviction, well, have a Merry Christmas unless God chose to have, have you have a miserable Christmas. Maybe an eternity ago, he decided this was going to be the worst Christmas ever. Well, there you go. What are you going to do about it? Um, hey, would anyone like to hear an alternative explanation? Okay. okay. I don't want to leave you hanging there. Like, <laughs> that was a miserable Christmas message. Okay, so here, here's the thing. In church history, going back to the very beginning... In fact, I would argue this was the, the majority view of the early church fathers. But going back to the beginning, you find, in fact, you, you find that uh, in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, which is about a third of the Christians on the planet, they've always held this view. And that is that Christmas was not a rescue operation. It was the centerpiece of God's master plan from the start. Uh, and it, the, the cross was a rescue operation that was added to it later on after the fall. But the plan for God to become a human being was there from the start. In this view, God creates the world um, and creates human beings precisely to invite them in on his triune love. Triune is just a fancy word for trinity, triunity. Tri- Whenever I say triune, just be thinking, it's the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God is that love, that perfect, unsurpassable, unimprovable love. He is that from all eternity. But out of the fullness of that love, he now wants to create others to invite them in on this. So from the start, God wanted to envelop human beings to allow them to participate in the love that he is. He wants to open up his own being and incorporate humanity, all of humanity, into his heart to share in the joy and the ecstatic love of the triune God. Now, because love has to be chosen, he gave human beings free will. Um, So people can say no to this if they want. But God's plan for the start in this view was to create human beings and then for however long it took... To court them, as it were, like two people on a date. Uh, and, and to see if they will choose to marry him. And so it would be kind of a dating relationship, which would also be kind of an educational thing. And then the plan was from the start, whenever he saw that human beings were ready, whenever our heart was solidified towards him, then the plan was to marry us. This is why God's people throughout the Bible are referred to as the bride of Christ. God wanted a super, supremely, unimprovably perfect, intimate relationship with us. A, a sort of one flesh relationship that is ideally shared between a husband and wife. To become one flesh with us. In fact, Paul described our relationship with God through Christ as a one flesh relationship uh, in, in Ephesians 5. He wanted this one flesh relationship where he would join himself to us so that we can then participate in him. And, and participate in the love that he is. And the way that would happen would be through the incarnation. God would at the right time become a human being. 
Become one of us. This was the master plan from the start. And by that means, open up his own being for us to be included in Christ and then share and participate in the love of the triune God. That's why it says in Second Peter that through his great promises, this is the promise, this goes back to the very beginning of time, uh, his promise is that we would become participants in the divine nature. We don't become God. We're not absorbed into God, as it were, because that'd be less beautiful. You can only have love if you have someone other than yourself. And God already had the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He, that's who he is. But now he wanted to create others, non-God people, that he would share that exact same love with. It's a beautiful, glorious plan. That was the master plan from the beginning, and it all centers on the incarnation, on, on God becoming a human being. So with that framework now, just try this on for size. Uh, let's go back and read Ephesians 1. And we're going to see here, it makes a big difference on how you frame Ephesians 1, how you understand it, and a big difference as to how you understand the meaning of Christmas, uh, why God became a human being. So let's go back to it. Ephesians 1, Paul starts by saying this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Bless us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So Paul is saying here that from the start, before there was any creation, God had a plan. The plan, the master plan, was to adopt us as beloved children in Christ and to bless us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That was the plan from the beginning. He wanted all human beings to be in Christ and to relate to us as we are in Christ. And that's what the incarnation is all about. Him joining himself to us that we could be joined to him. He is taking on our nature so that we can participate in his nature throughout eternity. From the start, that was the plan. Then, we read this. Uh, verse 4. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless before him in love. Okay, now Paul isn't saying that God chose us before the foundation of the world as opposed to other people. What he's saying, what God chose from the foundation of the world, what the predestined master plan was, was that whoever is in Christ will be holy and blameless and adopted as children and be before him in love. That's what was chosen. Now, what we had to choose is whether we're going to be in Christ or not. But once you make the choice to be in Christ by surrendering your life to Christ, now all that is predestined for whoever's in Christ is predestined for you. Because you've gotten in on that. You see how this follows? Uh, it'd be like saying this. Uh, suppose Frank over there asked me, Hey, Greg, when did you decide that you're going to talk on this topic? And I could say, well, actually, I and my team thought we'd talk on this topic. Uh, we made a decision two months ago. And so Frank would turn around and say to all of you, Greg predestined, from two months ago, God, Greg predestined that we were going to hear this message. And you'd all say, yep, amen. But I did, it wasn't predestined that you were going to be in the room to hear this message. It was predestined that whoever's in this room is going to hear this message. And now that you're in the room, you can say it was predestined for us to hear this message. You see how that works. So also Paul can say, we were predestined in Christ to be holy and blameless and adopted as children and loved. Yes, and we go, amen to that. But it wasn't predestined that we, as opposed to other people, were going to be in Christ. It was predestined that whoever makes the choice, whoever becomes the bride of Christ, would be in Christ. And so now all that's predestined for Christ becomes predestined for us because we've submitted our lives to him. See how that works? So this isn't a God who's picking and choosing, any, mini miny, mo, who gets in and who I let go. No, God's will is for everybody would be incorporated. He wants everyone to be in there. His love is, is towards all. And then he says this, and here's where it starts to get really good. The message has kind of sucked so far, but it's going to get better. He says this. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ. 
according to the good pleasure of his will, it just gave him pleasure to do this, to the praise of his glorious grace that is freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Third time he talks about being in Christ. In the beloved. All this takes place in the beloved. Now Paul here is using the metaphor of children as opposed to the metaphor of bride because he's talking about the way that we're incorporated into Christ. We're adopted. We're brought in. So he uses the children metaphor. And he says here that we are loved in the beloved. We're made beloved children in the beloved. Now here's my favorite analogy of this. And I don't, I think I used this once before here, though no one seems to remember it. So, and I don't know if it was a year ago or five years ago or 20 years ago, because my sense of time has gotten totally screwed up as I get older. Uh, time, it's just all, but it, 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 anyways, if you've heard it before, it bears repeating. So here's the thing. Ta-da! Exhibit A. R. Now, let's, in this illustration, let the glass be the beloved, Christ. And the water in the glass can represent every spiritual blessing that's found in Christ. And this lovely young lady represents the bride of Christ. I'll call her Wanda. Wanda. Wanda, the church. This is the church. This is all who say yes to the Lord. When you surrender to the Lord, you're made the bride of Christ, and you are then adopted into the triune fellowship by being placed in Christ. You are in Christ. Why she got air inside of her? <laughs> A little gassy this morning, aren't you? All right. The gassy bride of Christ. So, well, he does accept us as we are, so I guess an illustration works. <laughs> I'm going to stop there while I'm still ahead. It could go downhill. Stop it! So, here's the thing. Now, if you're very astute, you'll notice this. Uh, if you look at the woman... If you look at Wanda, you're also looking at the glass and the water because Wanda is in the water. Smart, huh? Uh, and if you're looking at the glass filled with water, you're also looking at Wanda because Wanda is in the water. You don't need to look, have a separate glance to look at Wanda. It's one glance, uh, and, and you get the whole thing. To look at Wanda is to look at the water. To look at the water is to look at Wanda. And to look at it all is to look at the glass it's found in because Wanda is in the water. Yeah, see? In fact, it's impossible to look at Wanda without looking at the water, and impossible to look at the water without looking at Wanda. I think you get the point. So the thing is, is that, that we might say that Wanda's not only in the water, but she's kind of one with the water, because whatever happens to the water happens to her. Uh, she's, the water's wet, and therefore Wanda is wet. The water is sharing its attribute with, 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 with Wanda. Um, and, and so whatever is true about the glass of water also becomes true about Wanda, because Wanda is in the water. Um, if I were to put this glass out in the light, then the glass, then Wanda's in the light. If I put the glass in the dark, then Wanda is in the dark. If, if, I, if I heat the glass up, then Wanda gets hot. If I put ice in the glass, then Wanda gets cold. If I raise the glass, then Wanda is high. If I lower the glass, then Wanda is no. You get the point. Whatever's true about the glass is true about Wanda, because Wanda is in the water. In fact, she's one with the water. You folks, this is exactly the kind of super intimate relationship that God wanted with his people. And that idea, I believe, was there from the creation of the world. In fact, it's why he created the world. He wanted to incorporate humanity into his triune fellowship, the perfect love of the triune God, by having us be in one of the people, one of the persons of the Trinity, to be in the beloved. And so now, what it means is this. We are in Christ. And so all that is true about Christ becomes true about us. We don't become Christ. 
Uh, no, God always wanted an, an other to, to, to love and relate to. But now that we're in Christ, all that is true about Christ becomes true of us. And so the love that the Father has for the Son, the Beloved, that's why Paul calls him that. The same love that the Father has for the Son is the love he has for you. Uh, he, he has for all who are in Christ. It's not a secondary love. It does, he, he does, it's not even a separate act. In the process of loving Christ, he's loving all who are in Christ, because whatever's true about Christ is also true about whoever is in Christ. We're in Christ, and we're one with Christ. Uh, so the infinitely intense, perfect, unwavering, unfathomable, unimprovable, infinitely intense love that defines God himself, the, the love that God is, uh, the love that the Father has for the Son, is now directed towards all who are in Christ. Hallelujah. Uh, because all that's true about Christ is now true about us. And so what that means is that if you have said yes and surrendered your life to him, uh, you are then made the bride of Christ. You are put in Christ. This is your location. This is your real address. <laughs> Wherever you happen to live here on the planet, this is your ultimate environment. And it means that right now, this moment, here and now, you are loved with an infinitely intense, unsurpassable, unwavering, unimprovable, unfathomable, incomprehensible, infinitely intense, perfect love that defines God himself. You could not, this moment, right now, be more loved than you are. <laughs> Digest that. Just think about that for a second. You are loved with that kind of love. And that's true because you are in the beloved. So it doesn't depend, it doesn't, it doesn't improve. It can't improve. It's already perfect love. It doesn't go up when you're having a good day and down when you're having a bad day. It doesn't go up because you're feeling warm and fuzzy right now or down because you're feeling cold and apathetic. It, it doesn't go up because you've had a, a good holy week or down because you just backslid and, and got sorts of all sorts of stuff. It doesn't, doesn't improve when your faith is strong. It doesn't decrease when you think your faith is, 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 is weak. It doesn't improve when you got together. It doesn't decrease when you're all messed up. It doesn't improve when your theology is all straight and it doesn't go down when you all confused and got nothing but questions. It only depends on one thing and one thing only, and that is, are you in the Beloved? And if you are in the Beloved, then there's no ifs, ands, maybes, or buts. You are loved with an everlasting, perfect love. Praise God. Amen. The relationship could not be more... This is, this is the one flesh kind of relationship that God created the world for. His purpose was always to incorporate us, to envelop us in his very being. So we are right now, this isn't just in the future, right here and right now, we are enveloped with the perfect love of God. Uh, he's pressing in on us. We could not be more loved than we are this very second. Now, we usually don't see that, do we? We usually don't feel that. Because we're still strapped with this old nature, and our brains are all screwed up, and this world is all screwed up. And so we see through a mirror darkly, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. We at best get glimpses of it, but it doesn't change the truth of what is real. What is real, this master plan, this glorious master plan that God had from the beginning, is to incorporate us in Christ and have a relationship that is so close that all that is true about Christ becomes true about us. No wonder Paul says that this is all to the, 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 the glorious praise. Uh, to the praise, all of this, this master plan was to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And it, it, it's grace because it's free. It's grace. It's costly grace since we, we broke up with him. I mean, the, the courtship didn't go very well. Uh, we proved to be very bad dates. We broke up with him. Uh, but fortunately, praise God, he didn't break up with us. The master plan was going forward no matter what. Amen. And he says, I'm going to get me a bride. I'm going to, literally, come hell or high water. I'm going to get me a bride, whatever it takes. Praise God. And so he went forward with it. And so this grace is costly grace. But it would, his, it, 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 
it, it was there from the start. The plan was to freely bestow it on us. You can't earn this. You can't merit it. You can't achieve it. You can't accomplish it. There's nothing you can do to get it. It depends on one thing only, and that is, are you in the beloved? Are you in the beloved? And, it, and if you are, then this grace is freely bestowed on you. And it's glorious grace, he says. And it's glorious because, well, what is the glory of God? The glory of God is Jesus Christ, who is the radiance of God's glory, the shininess of God's shininess. And this grace, this this, this Beautiful master plan, that looks like Jesus. Holocaust, not so much. Disasters, not so much. This looks like Jesus, and so this is to the glory of God. And when you begin to see this, you realize that the only thing you can do, the only thing you can do is praise him. It's like when you hear beautiful music, you just want to go, wow. And if you see a beautiful sunset, you go, awesome. It's a natural expression of the beauty that you're beholding. And if we, for a moment, get a glimpse of this, if we believe this, if we can just internalize this, the only natural response is to praise him, to praise God, to say, praise God for his beauty, praise God for his goodness, praise God for his grace that he's lavishing on us, praise God for the relationship that he's got with us as he's incorporated us in Christ, praise God for the love of the triune God that's being shared with us. Praise God for the fact that that includes every spiritual blessing. Think about this. Paul says we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in in Christ Jesus. Last I checked, every means all. I'm really smart. So it means that all that God could give us, every single blessed thing that Jesus has by nature, because he is a member of the Trinity, everything that is by nature is given to us by grace. (laughs) There isn't one more thing that God could give us that he doesn't already give us, because it's all there in Christ and we are in Christ. We're put in him. Every spiritual blessing. So what it means is this. Whatever, whatever is true about Christ becomes true about us. So if Jesus is holy and he is, then we are made holy in the, in the holy one. If Jesus is righteous, then we are made righteous because we're in the righteous one. Uh, if, if, if Jesus is, is loved with an everlasting love, then we are loved with an everlasting love because he's the beloved and we are in the beloved. If, if Jesus has joy being uh, in the triune uh, fellowship, and he does, unsurpassable joy, but that joy is given to us. If Jesus has perfect peace uh, by virtue of being in the triune God, and he does, then we have perfect peace because we are in the beloved. All that belongs to Christ, all that is true about Christ, is given to us by grace. Praise God. And now, we, folks, we got a lot to praise God for. we got a lot to praise God for. Everything, it, the plan from the start, the master plan, the glorious plan, which for God to entirely pour himself out. The, it, everything he has is poured out for us. That's what his perfect love looks like. That's what love always looks like. And we see that on the cross. And he pours his whole self out to us, and that was the plan from the... God saying, I want to give myself away. And we are the recipients of that. And we don't see it clearly. We, we, we don't feel it often. But that doesn't change the truth. And, and if we fix our mind, like Paul says in Colossians 3, fix our, our eyes on things above, where our life is hid in Christ. <laughs> fix our eyes on things above, where our life is hid in Christ. Uh, that can't help but begin to encourage your heart. As you ingest that, as you think about all that that means for you. And if, if, this is our true identity. This is who we truly are. We've been lied to our whole life, and so we think we're, we're something other than this. But this, in fact, is what is true about us. And the more we are transformed by the renewal of our mind, the more we see the reality of this, the more we experience the reality of this. And now you can say, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Because, see, here's the thing. If, if you're praising God for this, if you're giving thanks for this, and you see this and are internalizing this, uh, well, your Christmas might suck with family and friends, but it's going to really be great. <laughs> uh, this, in every circumstance you're in, I don't care how bad it is, how nasty it is, uh, where you go, who you see, what's done to you, this is what's true about you. This doesn't change. This is forever. 
And as your mind's fixed on this, well, you find that it, it makes you merry. It puts a smile on your face. And um, uh, praise God. And then you can begin to share that with others. You begin to overflow towards others as God has overflowed towards you. One more thing I want to say is this. If you think about Christmas, it's simply a rescue operation. Um, well, not only does that come up with some terrible consequences that I mentioned before, but it, but it can have this effect. You can be thankful that Jesus came to earth uh, and gave his life, but you might suspect that you're kind of a bother. It's, it's like when, when I was a kid. Um, I've always been a little bit of an airhead. And so uh, this is a classic airhead moment. I was visiting a friend up in, 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 in uh, St. Cloud. He was going to university up there. I was still in high school. But I took the truck up, up there, and I was going to stay overnight. It was a tremendous party school at the time. And um, so uh, uh, my dad had told me, this is back in the 70s, and we had this cold patch where, like, for four or five days straight, it didn't get above zero. In fact, it was like 20 below. So dad said to me, Greg, make sure that you don't let your gas tank get too low because it will freeze up your gas line. I forgot. <laughs> uh, I forgot. And so I, I'm up there. My car is almost on empty, uh, but I don't think about that. So next morning I get out there and try to start my car, and the car won't start. It's frozen. So I've got to call my dad. He's got to drive all up to St. Cloud and bring some heat to pour into the gas tank to get the thing loosened up. And I was thankful he did that, but I was very aware that I'm kind of being a bother. Uh, and then, to make matters worse, we had to let the car run for a little bit to get it all loosened up. So we go into his car and stay warm uh, while it's warming up, while my car's warming up. And that's about the time I realized that I just locked my keys in my car that's running. Um, yeah, uh, so now we have to call a locksmith and pay for a locksmith to open this thing. And as the locksmith's traveling to get to where we are, my car runs out of gas. <laughs> so now we got to go to the gas station and get some gas to bring back here and get it going. I was thankful my dad did this, but I also was very aware, and he let me know that this I was really a bother. So we, we could get this, this idea, if, if this was not something God planned, we might have this idea, you know, Jesus is up in heaven saying, oh, these stupid human beings. Oh, they fell, I got themselves kidnapped by Satan, now I got to go down there and risk, I got to leave the bliss of heaven, my hanging out with the Father and, and the Spirit, and the joy here, and now I got to go down there and become a human being, get myself killed. Oh, I'll do it. And we're thankful he did it, but it's kind of like, uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Uh, See, folks, I encourage us to see that this, when you look at the baby Jesus, um, we're seeing plan A. This is plan A. This is the plan all along. He wanted to do this. It was for the good pleasure of his will, Paul says. This is, it, it, this is his pleasure. This is what he wants. He wants a bride. And so he's always going to unite himself with us. So this wasn't a bother to him. This is what he wanted to do. And he wanted it so bad, he was willing to do anything that was necessary to get that bride. And so there he goes to the cross, but even that he didn't do reluctantly. It says in Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before him, the joy of having this bride, the joy of having a people who are holy and blameless and adopted as children and loved in the beloved, that, that God of perfect love rejoices in this and is willing to do anything necessary and has done everything possible to have us incorporated into the beloved and to share with us all that is true of the beloved. This is the plan from the start, plan A. And it could not possibly be more glorious than it is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, I'd like to ask the, the prayer team. I mean, the, the prayer team. Amen. Praise God. What else are you going to do? All you can do is praise God. You can't, you can't add to it. You can't detract from it. Just praise Him for it. It's Merry Christmas. Uh, we're going to go into another time of worship. If the worship team would come up here, and we'll take up an offering. And I encourage us, as we go into this time, to make a choice 
to worship him by putting all other considerations aside uh, and focus on him, imagine who we're singing to, what we're singing about, and to praise him, praise the beloved for all that he's done, knowing that we are right now in the environment of his perfect love and always will be. Um, give him the praise that is due his name. And we also praise him by how we steward his resources, how we spend our time and how we spend our money. And so I always encourage people, don't, make, don't, don't tip God, just when whatever's left over, uh, make a choice in your budget. Yeah, that's a tip. It's like, oh, what do I got? I got $3. Okay, I'll put that in. No, it, it, plan it. Look at God planned. He planned for us, right? He, he thought ahead on this thing. He didn't just make it up on the spot. So also our lives. We should think ahead on this. And um, uh, what is God calling us to be investing in the kingdom? Father, thank you for the grace you freely bestowed on us in the beloved, for the love that we have in the beloved, and the joy and the peace that we have in the beloved, and the holiness and the blamelessness that we have in the beloved every spiritual blessing that we have in the beloved. Lord, open our eyes to see this, receive this, be transformed by this as we now enter a time of praise and worship of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.